kind of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. When I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Welcome everybody to Sky Watchers Radio on PSN Radio. With you is myself, Angel Espino, and my co-host for the night, Mr. Rick Osmond. And we have Jamie Havican is going to be joining us pretty soon. I just got confirmation from him. And we have an excellent guest tonight. Rick, are you excited about our guest tonight? Because I am itching to tell everybody who our guest is tonight. Well, you itch a lot anyway, but yes, I am anxious. For this, this is true. I, I've been wanting to talk with, been wanting to talk with this guy for a long, long time. So now's a chance. And this guy, yeah, this is your chance now. For everybody who who's wondering, well, who the hell is this guy they keep talking about? Let's just tell him. Nick Redfern is okay, going to be here with us tonight. Nick Redfern is going to be with us. And uh, anybody who's into ufology, into the Roswell crash, into the last 40 years of monsters, men in black, and all kinds of other spooky stuff are going to have a really good time here tonight because Nick Redfern has really uh, you know, done a lot of work in a lot of different fields, not only ufology, but he's also well-versed in some of your favorite uh, topics there, Rick, the Chupacabra and Bigfoot. Yeah. Yep. All kinds of cryptozoology stuff. Yes. Yes. Yes, stuff. I do. Stuff. You're into all that stuff. It's all good, man. To each their own. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we got, you know, I'm open-minded enough to want to hear what, you know, he might have for us. So that's going to be fun. And, you know, I, I'm just excited to talk to him because I'm a big fan of his and what he's, you know, worked on. And he's been doing this since, like, the late 70s, which is crazy. Were you aware of that? Yep, I was. I mean, that's crazy. So, in, in fact, I think he got started the and, year uh, after I was born, which is even crazier. That well, hissing sound... Uh, yeah, this is true. That hissing sound is our third co-host, Mr. Jamie Havican. What's up, dude? Welcome to Skywatchers. It's a little late, but... You're hearing a hissing sound? Yeah, it's going away now. It's it's weird. It happens every once in a while here on the on the stream when we get a new caller on Skype for like for huh. for some reason. There's a little bit of a hissing sound always. I don't know why. I don't know if it's on Rick's it's end, your end. I just got a it's brand new sound thing here. It's going pretty good. Oh, it's probably on my end. I'm good stuff. Fairly flatulent tonight, so ah, a little flatulent. Ah, that eh? it. Sil- silent but deadly. That's right. 
We did a live Skywatch tonight, so we'll have stuff to talk about. This will be good. Sweet. Sweet. Now, when did you guys get started tonight? Uh, we started at 8 o'clock. Uh, Dave, myself, and Doug Kelly, the founder of Paranexus, uh, came out to join us. You know, he's a, a very healthy skeptic. And just wanted to come out and see what we're looking at. And, um, you know, he left uh, He left here scratching his head, just like almost everybody else that's come out here. Um, we've seen two objects within a rate of about two minutes that actually popped in, lit up, and just went out. And uh, it, it, was, it was pretty strange. So um, the live side of it was okay. Um, We've been doing live skywatches now for a few weeks, and it's working pretty good. So, we're getting there. Very cool. Very cool. Are you going to make this footage available of what you guys recorded tonight on uh, YouTube, like usual? Yeah, it's actually on Justin TV or Justin dot TV oh, forwards. Yeah, Florida UFOs. Um. There's a lot of stuff on there from our live Skywatches. I have a, a page on, on the on the network for the live Skywatches. But, uh, yeah, the first part is up there. I, I took the second part down because uh, uh, we were kind of chatting with Doug, and he didn't know that we were recording audio, so I had to delete it because, you know, private conversation has to stay private. But, um, yeah. Uh, video was up. We got a new lens for the camera too, so that was cool. Nice, very cool. Can't wait to see that footage. Now, are you excited about talking to Nick Redfern tonight? Who's going to be on with us in about fifteen oh, minutes? Very nice, man. He's got a new book out about NASA and conspiracies, and uh, this is going to be great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, you know, I've been just, following a little bit of his work for the last uh, few months. In fact, thanks to you, I've really become familiar with his work, Jamie. Uh, to what he's been uh, putting out, and he's written a lot of books, hasn't he? Oh yeah, I mean, Nick is—he's uh, got a ton of books. You really—you don't know how many books he wrote because he's actually a ghostwriter. He—he writes books for other people Jesus, too, yeah. so he actually ghostwrites a lot of books. You'd be surprised how many numbers of books he's written that his name isn't even traceable on. So. Um, yeah, he's a busy guy, man. I don't know how because, uh, you know, I'm trying to do my own book and I got about nine chapters done, but it's been like six months. It's just a time. I can't sit there and type for hours, maybe 30 minutes at a time. That's all I can do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. I, I'm, I'm, you know, into my first book and I'm only at the part where it says it was a dark and stormy night. That's all I got. That's, That's a good it. intro. Very beginning. That's the very beginning. That's all I got. Uh, hopefully, you know, I'll get more into it as the time goes by or as time allows. But, uh, yeah, man, I was looking through the list of some, some of the you know the books that he's written. It's amazing how many books he's put out. And, and really of all different kind of genres, which is kind of cool. I even saw some videos of him talking about Men in Black, which I want to ask him about. Uh, get his take on the Men in Black phenomenon and see, you know, if he thinks it's any reality to it. Or if it's what I believe, which is just a bunch of government folks that dressed in black and people you know made a whole yeah. bigger phenomenon out of it that really what it was yeah. uh kind of like fbi agents who dressed in black you know what i mean and uh, just became its own lore which is amazing how a lot of this stuff becomes mythology and lore and it might just start off as something as innocent as that, uh, innocent as that. 
We, uh, you know, we just had a case that uh, the guy says involved men in black, so maybe we can talk about that. But, yeah, Nick's going to think I'm, like, stalking him, man. He was on my show a few months ago. <laughs> He's on Paranexus. Oh, was he really? Uh, he was on Paranexus last week, and I was there, and now he's going to be on tonight, and I'm going to be here. He's going to be like, man, are you booking me for these shows or something? <laughs> but uh, yeah, Nick's a great guy. I actually met Nick through Paul Robinson, and, and he's also in the group with Grant Cameron. They're all, like, close friends, so. Very cool. Yeah, he seems like a, like a very, very nice guy. In fact, I spoke to Nick, uh, I would say, about a few months ago over on the Wow Factor. And uh, we got to interview him and uh, with Ron Milione, and, and that was a really, really good show. I mean, he really is a very knowledgeable dude. I would say him, Nick Pope, are probably two of the, of the best uh, to talk to, you know, when it comes to, like, serious ufology, uh, people from the U.K. or from overseas. I mean, these guys really know their stuff. But, you know, Nick Redfern, he's so knowledgeable on a lot of other stuff, which kind of blew me away. Uh, the Bigfoot stuff that he's into, the Chupacabra uh, story yeah, he's talk, they talks about. I mean, he really is into a lot of different subjects, which is really cool to see. Yep, he's been to Puerto Rico. He's in the Bigfoot, all kinds of stuff. So it's going to be interesting to talk with him tonight. It is. So uh, going to be a fantastic time, I think. So uh, how how you guys been doing? Uh, what's your week filled with, Jack? Or what you been up to? I know you're working now again. Working like an animal. In fact, I've uh, been working on getting the MegaCon convention ready. Uh, we're going to be doing MegaCon in Orlando. Are you going to try to swing by to this thing? Because, uh, you know, that's not too far off from where you're at. Um, man, well, I'll have to see. You know, I'll, I'll see if uh, I can I can get a ride. That's the only problem. I'd love to be there. And uh, oh, we'll see if I can get a ride there, I'll be there. Um, I forgot about that, but I'll let you know. I'll see if I can get somebody to go with me. It's been kind of bad, to tell you the truth. Uh, I was invited to, to go up to Rochester, New York, um, uh, take a tour of a company that we're going to be doing business with. And, I, you know, I can't even do that because uh, this, last, this last month my back really went out. And ever since then, my leg has just been killing me. So got to go for a new MRI. But uh, we'll see, you know, Ouch. if it's a place to and sit and yeah yeah we'll see i'll see if i can get somebody to go and i'll go right along with us that'd be great man uh, it'd be really nice to meet you i mean uh, this this thing is going to be bananas and for people who are saying well what does megacon have to do with sky watching well guess what william t well not william t but james t kirk william shatner is going to be there and, uh, th you know, that's maybe not Skywatcher related, but it's kind of outer spacey related. And the fanboy in me is, oh, is sure dying is. to meet him. So, uh, yeah, it is. I'm dying to meet the guy. I just want to be in his presence. I want to be in the same room with William Shatner. I mean, that, that in itself is pretty damn cool. But hopefully you can make it out there, man. I think it will be really, really great if, uh, if you step out to the, uh, to the convention and make yourself seen over on the SoFlo radio side, which will be kind of cool because you've never been really live on their network and... Uh, they're doing no. big things over there, so it'll be kind of cool. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh, you know, I I always promote and, and want to be behind conferences in Florida. We need more of them. So, uh, oh, yeah. you know, if of I any kind there, uh, I'll do my best to try to get there. I'll tell you that. I'll, I'll uh, I should know within a few days. I'm gonna I'm gonna Good write man. a sticky note on my computer. See if you can go, and we'll see what happens. 
That's what I like to hear. Now, uh, before we get Nick on the line here, guys, uh, is there any news from the world of ufology that we want to get out to the public in the next uh, few minutes here before we uh, we go to break and get Mr. Redfern on the horn? Uh, uh, any ideas, any news items? I, got I have some. But let's see if Rick has some. I well, Rick has a psychic, psychic prediction. I want to hear this first. Okay. There, there will be videos on YouTube within days of UFOs flying over, around, and through the Japan. nuclear reactors in Japan. You yep. can bet oh, yeah. on it. All over Japan. Yes, yep. but how many of them are going to be authentic? Absolutely. None. None. <laughs> that's the yeah. That's the the big problem there. Hey, you guys want to see an epic video? Hopefully I can get rid of this. You got to watch this. Um, Just something, sorry to go off topic, but watch this video. It's like a a kid that films a school fight. And this this little kid is picking on this other kid who's kind of a bigger husky kid, and he's punched him right in the face. He's messing around with him and keeps trying to punch him. And uh, let's see what the big kid does to him. Pretty funny. He got what he deserved. <laughs> Would you post it in the uh, chat room or? Okay. Yeah, yeah. At, at PSN Radio. We're uh, uh, over in the P- chat. That's right. P- that's right, everybody. PSN Radio. Dot com. Yep. That's where we're at. Also, live. If you guys want to check out the chat room, go over there. Also, oh, speaking ahead. of uh, predictions, this this might be kind of weird or off topic, but. It's not really off topic, but uh, around the 3rd of March, I seen on the internet, and maybe you guys did too, that uh, somebody was predicting that there was going to be an Earth axis shift uh, between the 6th and the 15th. And okay. I, I, I covered it in my news show that there, it said there was going to be big earthquakes and an axis shift. Within between the sixth huh. and the and the fifteenth, and uh, you know, look what happened. That's kind of well, strange. What I mean, you mean it, say, did you I don't know. You know, ever since the, this info ever since it happened, it's so hard to find it because you know there's a million stories out there now. But I'm telling you, I have a show on there with me on the third, telling me that this is it was going around Facebook, the internet. Uh, what happened was um, uh, uh, this guy who's into ufology, he asked the Japanese finance minister um, why the Americans uh, took over one of their accounts. And um, he, he says that the Americans threatened them with an earthquake machine. And um, what? that was kind of crazy. But but no, that's what they said, that... Um, after reading all the data, you know, and Sun, they just predicted. It's not like a channeling prediction that between the sixth and the fifteenth, that something big was going to happen to change the axis, and it was going to be an earthquake, major earthquakes. And sure enough, it happened. I mean, this isn't something. I mean, it's like winning the lottery. You know, these predictions never come true. This one just happened to. Yep. You can't say between I- August. Fourth and 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 tenth in 2018, there's going to be a huge earthquake, and it come true. But 
Well, did this you hear about this? Some some of the some of the uh, texts or tweets or whatever you want to call it that's been coming out from uh, Japan, uh, from some of the civilians have uh, been saying that they believe that this might have been uh, sort of payback for uh, Pearl Harbor, some sort. Yeah, like continuous payback, well, fifty years later, yeah. and, which makes me scratch my head because I mean that really would make no sense, you know, forty, fifty, sixty years later to do something like this. But uh, seven years. Funny. That seventy years later. Seventy, um, yeah, seventy years later. What happened? What happened is, uh, you know, flies. I never really understood how harp worked until this happened, and I started thinking about it. But basically, what harp, what they were explaining is, harp sends these low frequency microwave beams, and they would hit the atmosphere and bounce down and compress the land mass, which would create an earthquake. They would put pressure because they're low frequencies, and they could actually create an earthquake. Uh, not like Japan doesn't have enough of them, but something this size. Yeah. And uh, now we're having all the nuclear problems. Uh, there's hydrogen explosions every day. Now the actual nuclear containment vessel has been breached. So, oh, Lord. some big stuff going on. Crazy stuff going on in the world. Amazing. I mean, I've seen some of the footage out of Japan of uh, some of the destruction, devastation going on there, and it's it's amazing. It's like watching the movie 2012 and watching the stuff just get destroyed and swept away. Uh, but in reality, in real world, you know, if the government had anything to do with that, uh, that would be devastating if that ever came out as uh, you know as a leak that you know that the government did have something to do with that because I mean that that's too much that that would be too well, much. The news is trying to play it off like uh, the United States and Japan are like really tight allies that it's like a brother and sister who fought when they were younger and now they're best friends. That's what they're kind of say. They're trying to say that the U.S. and Japan's relations are, but you got to right. guess. I mean, we do have a lot of military bases there, and is that you know because we're threatening threatening them, or we really are allies and, and tight? I don't know. Huh. Well, I'll tell you what. It kind of goes along with the. Uh, it it kind of goes along with the same thing I said about the my psychic prediction. Somebody's going to predict all this <laughs> crap at any given time. Yeah. Yeah, then there's that. But, uh, you know, Japan is uh, very, uh, let, me, let me put it this way, Japan is very advanced technologically. If there ever was a country that could, uh, you know, perhaps be kind of a threat nuclear-wise to us, uh, Japan could be that threat. Uh, who is not to say that maybe the government did do something like this to try to stop their progress because this is going to set them back at least 20 30 years this destruction at least easily economically is going to destroy them for a while yeah it will they and we didn't have to help with that at all well that's <laughs> just, true too just happened. that's neither yeah that's neither here nor there <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Guys, we're going to go on break for a little bit here to get um, our guest, Mr. Nick Redfern, on the line. And uh, stick around. It's going to be a fun time. Anybody who wants to call on in, open lines will be available. To, it's the uh, 786-245-8127 number you see right there in the chat room. Call up. And if you have any questions for Nick, please ask. But please keep it on topic. That's all I ask. Uh, so we'll be right back. You guys ready for Nick? Yes? Oh, no? yeah. yeah. Maybe? Uh -huh. Perhaps? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Let's do this. 
Attraction causes illness in my mind Only a fraction of the things I've left to find Alone without you All alone I see right through Strong intentions left and gone Abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the internet. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Adventures in Time and Space Transcribed in Future Tense The Powwow Countdown for Blast Off X-5 4 3 2 Minus one. Disorder never sounded so good. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine presents... The Powwow. Weekends at 12. Only on SoFloRadio.com. 
Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, everybody. This is Boca Brian once again to tell you about my latest CD of religious comedy bits. Word of Boca. All my smash hits made famous throughout the world. For the, well, not exactly the world. Let's see. Parts of Boca Chobi down to Narte and Well, like I was saying, the most requested religious comedy bits ever to be heard all over your radio for too short a time. You'll get such hits as... You'll get Father Amen. And this all-time Boca classic. They were speaking in tongues. That made me a believer. Yes, it's Word of Boca. About 30 all-time certified aluminum religious hits by Boca Brian, who sits on the middle finger of God while singing about men of the moist cloth. That's Word of Boca. Available now at all Peaches, Records, and, uh, I mean, at Order Yours Today by clicking on the album cover on SoFloRadio.com. PSN Radio The Soup. The best in talk radio anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Skywatchers Radio here on PSN Radio, The Soup. Please, if you're listening on Shotcast and you want to check out the chat room, go to www.psn-radio.com right now. Check out the live chat room. And please, if you have any questions for our guest of the night, our honored guest of the night, Mr. Nick Redfern, call on in, 786-245-8127. And like I said, our guest of the night, Mr. Nick Redfern, who is a gentleman who I've been following for about a year now, a little bit longer, actually, thanks to Jamie here, who caught me and, and told me about his work and uh, told me a lot about the stuff he's been talking about. And I've been blown away with some of the stuff I've read and some of the research I've done on this gentleman. And it's an honor to have him here on Skywatchers Radio. So, guys, without any further ado, let's welcome our guest guest, Mr. Nick Redfern, onto the show. Nick, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. I know Hello. that uh, Jamie here is uh, very fam very familiar with you. Rick has been wanting to talk to you for a long time, and it's a great honor to have you on here, sir. Uh, well, thanks a lot. Yes, thanks sir. for the invite. Now, Nick, let's get right into this because, uh, you know, I've like I said, I've been doing a lot of reading on you specifically and uh I've, I've been blown away by some of the stuff that you've covered over the years and uh you know i'm really interested in uh hearing from your end and you know giving our audience a little bit of a rundown more or less of how you got started in ufology uh a very long time ago may i add by the way i was i think one when you got started in ufology uh so give us a little bit of a rundown on your history and and how was it you got caught up into this uh this whole world that we're talking about here tonight all right, yeah, you make me feel old when you say you were one, so. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Maybe two. Yeah, I got interested. <laughs> well, I got interested when I was, like, a kid, like a lot of people do, I think, you know, when they first get interested mm -hmm. in the UFO subject. Um, I was about 13, and, um, you know, I think people get involved in the whole UFO 
subject in terms of investigations and reading about it for one or two reasons. Either they have their own experience or, you know, something else, like a family member or a friend, something happens, and that gets them interested. And that's what happened with me. I've never sort of had that personal defining UFO moments, unfortunately. But my uh, dad was in the British Royal Air Force. He worked on radar. And he was actually involved in several UFO incidents in the 1950s where UFOs were tracked on radar. Um, aircraft were sent up to try and intercept these things, couldn't get close to them. Pilots reported seeing these weird balls of light in the sky. And even though they looked strange, you know, the first thought was, well, it's got to be the Russians. Um, but it clearly wasn't the Russians, and um, you know this went on for several nights. And at the end of it all, after three nights, when it all finished, everybody was reminded of the fact that they'd signed the British government's Official Secrets Act, which is kind of like the contract you sign, so you, you know, you don't tell right. anyone what happened. What if there's anything secret that you did in the in your term with the government? Um, but after sort of 30-something years, my dad thought, well, it's okay. And um, he told me, and as I said, when I was about 13. And, and I guess not just because it was my own dad, but also because, you know, he was trained, he worked in the military on radar. You know, he was trained to interpret signals and things like that. It sort of, sort right. of opened my eyes to the fact that, yes, something strange is going on. And the fact that the government didn't want anybody to talk about it. That always makes me think, you know, if governments don't want us to know something, it's probably it's probably something that's worth knowing, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, yeah. in that respect, I thought, well, and when I finished school, um, I began working on a rock music magazine back in England, and I still did quite a bit of that today. But that sort of got me into journalism. And then I thought after a few years of doing that and doing freelance gigs and whatever, I thought, well, why not try and combine the background in journalism with interest in weird stuff and so that's that's kind of what i did so i guess i got my dad to blame for it all really i suppose <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny because he did have, have you know experiences <laughs> he had experiences that which you know piqued your interest uh did, did your father speak yeah. a lot about uh st some of the stuff that he saw when he was uh you know in the service not really. I mean, he had these the three experiences, which were all sort of radar mm -hmm. cases. I mean, he still talks about them to this day. But, you know, he, he, he takes the stance that, well, what it was, it was something definitely weird. You know, he doesn't go as far as to say it was definitely alien because he has no way to sort of prove that. But equally, he said, you know, there's no way us, the Americans, the British, the Russians, or whoever was flying anything that could travel at those heights, those speeds, and do sort of left and right-hand turns, you know, at fantastic speeds he said whatever they were, were under intelligent control and it was nothing of ours you know and sort of almost 60 years onwards you know he still he still talks about it you know he was only like in his 20s at the time you know and um hmm. you know even now he, he still talks about it or maybe he was a little, yeah he was 20 i think or something like that when it first happened so you know in that respect it's it's one of those things i think sort of really had like a profound effect on him because you know, even the senior personnel had never seen anything like this before, and they just didn't know how to handle it. And but he he didn't really tell hardly anybody, I think, other than my mum, about what had happened. But then, sort of thirty, you know, thirty-five years later, when he told me, I think he probably felt more, well, it's okay now. You know, so what are they going to do after thirty-five, right. forty years? Do you know what I mean? 
know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of folks coming forward in the last uh, decade like that. Uh, yeah. Who you know, and it, it makes perfect sense if you're you know near your deathbed or if you're an older gentleman or you're somebody who really just doesn't yeah. give a damn anymore. You know, come forward. Yeah. I mean, you really got at this yeah. point you got nothing to lose. No, and I think the important thing to remember. I always tell people, you know, when they're a bit worried, government agencies mm-hmm. very rarely take any action on military people who come forward to relate their stories because if they do take action that really just vindicates what the person's saying so in other words Correct. i think yep. government agencies realize that and so they just prefer to kind of just stew in silence and just hope the story dies away or whatever which explains why uh you know a lot of folks that have come forward are still alive and well and in, in doing the uh, circuit <laughs> doing the uh, the lecture yeah. circuit and doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, Edgar Mitchell came forward, and you know he's perfectly well, and he's come forward with some mm-hmm. pretty astounding information, you know, and and stuff that really is true, uh, are pretty uh, earth shattering. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean Edgar well, Mitchell is like one of the yeah. most important people, you know, and, and credible mm-hmm. people who sort of been able to add some sort of input to the whole. UFO controversy. I mean, he he actually piloted the Apollo 14 um, lunar module that landed on the moon in February 1971. And a lot of people don't realize this, as well as being an Apollo astronaut who walked on the moon, he actually grew up around the Roswell, New Mexico area. Of course, Roswell being, you know, one of the most famous places within the whole UFO research field. And because of who he was... You know, people, some of the old-timers in Roswell would tell him stories about the UFO crash and how it really happened. And, of course, uh, Mitchell was able to do something that most of us, if not nearly all of us in ufology, just cannot do because of his, you know, because of his standing reputation. He actually approached the Intelligence Committee of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Pentagon and said, look, I've been told this story about what happened at Roswell, what supposedly happened. I want to know what happened. I want to, you know, I want a briefing mm-hmm. on it. And he actually got confirmation from an admiral within the uh, sort of infrastructure that, yes, Roswell happened. And um, he's gone on record about this. The weird thing, though, is that the mainstream media, it's almost like it's a no-go area. They just won't touch it. You know, he's, he's been on a few interviews talking about it on mainstream TV. But, you know, there's been non, no sort of, you know, big newspaper or or news channel has sort of really gone after the story and tried to track down who he spoke with in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who the Admiral was. You know, if they did do that, they kind of set like a Watergate, you know, investigative team on it. They might have blown the whole thing right. wide open, but I kind of find it interesting and maybe even a bit conspiratorial that, that the media just stayed away from it. You know, it almost makes you wonder if they were told to stay away from it. Would make oh, sense. I'm almost certain they were told to stay away from it. But... Oh yeah. The uh, w- one of the things that has fascinated me primarily about not only Ed Mitchell but several of the astronauts have hinted, but they won't come out and say it yet. Now that the shuttle um, fleet is going to be mothballed and become museum pieces, I'm wondering if they're going to get a little more ballsy and say, "The heck with it! It's time to talk." Yeah. What? It- do you have any ideas well, yeah. on that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, to a degree, we're kind of speculating, but I think, you know, it's like any of these people, whether military, scientists, astronauts, government people, you do find it's in the sort of the later years when they come forward. Yeah, that, that's, that's precisely why I think the Roswell story, you know, it happened in 47, 
but nothing really came out about it till 1980 when the first book, The Roswell Incident, was written on the subject because most of the people by that time, 33 years later, you know, if they were, only if they were 30 at the time, they'd be in the mid-60s, you know, pretty much by then. Um, and today, you know, we've only got a handful left. You know, we, we are literally down to a handful because it was like 64 years ago. You know, if you were 25 then, you'd be 89 now. So, you know, pretty much everybody who was involved in Roswell, apart from a few people, are gone. But that's why I think we've seen more people come forward in the last, sort of since the mid-80s onwards. And I wouldn't be at all surprised as, you know, some of the earlier astronauts get up higher up there in ages. We might well see some more revelations, you know, given that we've seen that in every other aspect of government, the military, the intelligence community, you know, it would kind of make sense if it happened in the astronaut community as well. Agreed. Or at least I'm hoping so. Yeah, but, that's all. Uh, one of the things that yeah. That's all we can do is hope. One of the things <laughs> that you one of the things for which you have become at least moderately famous, Nick, is your your coverage of the um, anomalous black cats of the British Isles. And I'd like oh, to yeah. get uh-huh. a, an update on that. Yeah, well, this is, this is sort of my other big interest, or perhaps even bigger interest than UFOs, is cryptozoology. Cryptozoology being the study of unknown animals like Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and uh, uh, the Yeti, my favorite. the Chupacabra. And one of the, what's that? My favorite, the Chupacabra. My favorite one, oh, okay, the Chupacabra. Cool. And, <laughs> And one of the reasons why I kind of enjoy doing crypto investigations is because it allows you actually to get out on site and, you know, go on expeditions and kind of rampage around the jungles and whatever. Um, you know, whereas UFOs, very often we get reports, and this is no disrespect to the witnesses, but they're often, you know, three weeks later and there's not much you can do other than go out to the house of the witness and interview them and have the witness tell you where they saw the thing, you know, the UFO in the sky. And I said that not to denigrate the reports, but there's not much you can do in terms of an on-site investigation because, you know, it's something that's gone, the scent's gone cold a couple of weeks earlier or whatever. But with cryptozoology, it's a bit different because, you know, if these are physical animals, then they're seen in the same places over and over again. And, you you know, you do a week or two week long expedition, potentially you have a chance to find them because they should still be there. And that's kind of the case with Britain's big cats. You know, Britain is a small country. England, Scotland, and Wales combined are actually smaller than the square mileage of the state of Texas. Um, you know, so it's not a big, big country. And where I grew up in England, in central England, it was like a, you know, I live near a big city, Birmingham, but you're only sort of 15 miles outside of thick countryside and forest. So you had sort of the best of both worlds. You know, you could go into the woods and then uh, just... Uh, pop into town on a Saturday night and uh, hit the bars and whatever. So it was kind of like the ideal location. But um, one of the things that you find is all across the British Isles, because a lot of it is still heavily wooded and forested to this day, you get a lot of reports of big cats being seen on the loose. Now, Britain isn't home to any indigenous big cats. You know, there is one cat called the Scottish wildcat, which is slightly larger than a normal cat. But it's not, you know, it's not anything the size of even like a lynx or any, anything like that. Uh, it's just a pretty vicious, slightly bigger house cat. Um, but people for decades, and, and some people speculate even for hundreds of years, have seen big cats across the British Isles, very often black ones like black leopards. Um, 
And, you know, the big question is, well, what are they and where do they come from? You know, people talk about uh, traveling circuses or people having private zoos where these animals have escaped from. Um, you know, the big problem is we don't have a corpse. You know, we don't have a body. Um, there's, there's, there's absolutely no doubt that one or two at least, you know, we can prove they came from menageries and zoos or whatever. For example, a few years ago, a lynx, a full-grown lynx was found in London wandering around. But it was it was really well fed. You know, it was almost like chubby. <laughs> so it obviously been well cared for. It wasn't you know a wild animal living in the wild. And when it, when um, I think when somebody from the animal protection agency went up to it, it actually came strolling over to him and sort of rubbed itself against his leg. You know, it was used to dealing with people. It obviously had escaped from a private enclosure. And a similar thing happened in Scotland in 1980. But pretty much those two cases. All the rest of these mystery cats are very weird. And I mean, I probably hear of at least four or five reports each week from different parts of the British Isles. And so there's no doubt that there's a real phenomenon. Wow. But, you know, it's not going to be solved until we get one. And the problem is, I think the government... Well, the governments deny there's anything to it. They don't, well, they don't deny the possibility, but they say they have no proof. And so at this stage, in their view, these animals are like mythical. But I think part of that is due to the fear of overreaction on the part of the press and the media and, you know, the, the public, because what inevitably will happen is that, the, the, you know, if there's one body found one day proven to be a wild, big cat living in the British Isles, you know, the press will say, you know, man-killer on the loose or whatever, you know, yeah. um, you know, lock up your children or something like that. Um, and then in reality, you know, these big cats that have been seen in Britain, then we're not talking about lions and tigers, which will just tear you apart in an instant for food. We're talking about animals that prefer to live on smaller animals and that shy away from people unless they're really, you know, in a difficult situation. But in Britain, you know, there's, there's a massive abundance of wildlife. And so these things really aren't man-eaters, you know. They're just big cats that have found a good way to survive and live on, you know, whether it's rabbits, sheep, deer, whatever. So. <coughs> well, do you think they're actually large enough to take down a sheep? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's in been some very weird killings of, of um, farm animals in Britain over the years. Um, where I used to live was near a large area of forest called Cannock Chase, and I think probably in the last three years there have been some very weird killings of almost like full-grown deer. Um, you know, where they've been literally disemboweled oh. and, you know, just, you know, savage claw marks. And even in some cases, there was one case where this wasn't a full-grown deer, but this was a baby deer. It was actually dragged, like they found evidence that it had been killed on the side of the road, and it was dragged at something like 75 feet from the road oh into the woods. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, mark, the drag marks were on the neck, you know, so clearly whatever had, had got, grabbed it around the neck and just hauled it you know, like 70 feet, 70, 80 feet into the woods and then just ate what it wanted, you know. And, and there's no way that would have been a, a wild dog. I mean, you don't get anything like, you know, just genuine wild dogs in Britain or anything like that, coyotes, anything like that. You know, the, if it was a dog, it would be a house dog that had just happened to be roaming around. But, you know, it was clearly beyond that. So um, cases like that, I think, you know, we are dealing with pretty substantial-sized animals knowing they can take down equally substantially sized animals as well. Sure. So have uh, have you incredible. gotten any good clear good clear footprint casts or oh, yeah. anything like that? 
Yep, a um, lot of pr- lot really? of um, print casts. Uh, a friend of mine, Neil Arnold, who lives down in the south of England, a county called Kent, which is just outside London. Um, he's got a lot of good photographs that people have sent him. Where they're clearly showing exotic cats, you know, some like spotted leopards and things like this. And um, you know, in some cases there are, as I said, um, quite down to earth reasons why they will be running around. Because up until 1976, anyone in Britain could own a big cat. There was actually no legislation surrounding it. But in 1976, the government passed something called the Dangerous Wild Animals Act which meant, number one, you had mm. to get a license, and number two, it cost a hell of a lot of money as well. And a lot of people couldn't <laughs> afford it. So the, there were two alternatives. You know, one, you have your animal put to sleep, which obviously no one wanted to do. The other right. one was that you hand them over to a zoo, which most people didn't want to do because, you know, they'd just be locked in cages with just a little walk-around area or whatever. And so the third option is, well, you go out into the woods and the forest late one Saturday night and you let them go. And, you know, I think that's probably what happened in a lot of cases. But, you know, they literally were let go into the countryside. And people who had one maybe owned two or three. And if they released them all together, you know, and there was a male and a female, well, the male and the female are going to do what male and females do. You know, and before you know it, you've got lots of little ones yeah. running around. And then probably now, you know, 35, 36 years after the original releases, we could be looking at, you know, the offspring of the offspring of the offspring of the original ones um, to where there yep. probably are substantial colonies and of, of these creatures around the UK. As I said, for the most part, um, you know, there have been a few reports of attacks on people, but they've been very rare. And the several that have occurred have been on children, which, you know, would be more likely because they're smaller. And there have been several stories of children right. said they've been stalked by these animals. But to the best of our knowledge... You know, no one's ever been killed. But then again, you know, if that did happen, who knows if the authorities would even let anybody know. Do you know what I mean? That might be something well, they clamp down on, again, for fear of whatever, and, and they just put it down to, you know, traffic accidents or whatever. So. Well, it, it kind of reminds me of here in the eastern United States, they recently declared the eastern cougar extinct. And, of course, this occurred just a couple of months, well, six months after a friend of mine got a very clear picture of one on his game camera. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, it, um, authorities and scientists are always very keen to tell us what have become, what's become extinct, and then further down the line, they have to revise what they said. So, uh, you know, I kind of take it with a pinch yeah. of salt when somebody says, oh, this animal no longer exists, and we're confident it's completely gone. It's like... That's almost like famous last words, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, they're going to be proven wrong in a few years. Yes. In this case, they they were proven wrong before they even made the announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's what you get in England. People say, you know, well, where would they live? Well, you know, Britain's uh, a quite populated country. But you don't have to go far at the cities before you are in heavy forest and woodland and little towns and villages and fields that haven't changed for hundreds of years. And, you know, a colony right. gets established and it's got a good food supply of foxes, rabbits, hedgehogs, deer. You know, it'll, it, you know, it'll find a way to survive and thrive. And, you know, animals are cunning. They know when people are around, they smell the scent, they hear you moving long before we know they're there. Um, you know, so it's Certainly. not that... 
unlikely that, particularly with because they have large, I mean, a lot of big cats have large hunting grounds. You know, we're not talking where they just sort of kind of sit out in the backyard or the equivalent and just wait for something to come along. You know, some of them have hunting grounds of 10 or 15, 20 square miles a night. You know, so it's not any big wonder that people aren't catching them or, or seeing them that often. Well, no, it's not any wonder to me at all. Um, one of the things, because I've seen an anomalous cat right uh-huh. here in Indiana, and it uh, mm-hmm. most closely resembles, although not exactly, um, what they call a jaguarundi, oh, yeah. which uh-huh. is a South American, Central American yep. cat, which would be severely out of place here in Indiana. <laughs> and yet, yeah. that's certainly what it looked like. Mm. Well, I mean, that's kind of like in, in Britain, you know. I mean, most of the big cats that are seen are described as like um, you know, cougars and, and things like that, which, you know, there, sh- there shouldn't be anything like that in Britain. So, I mean, Britain's an island. You know, it's not like they can swim here from <laughs> from <laughs> the mainland, <Yeah>. <laughs> from mainland Europe or whatever. <laughs> so, they well, clearly, a lot of these probably start off as you know, exotic they shouldn't pets, do you think? You think they might start oh, off yeah, as exotic a lot pets of somebody's yeah. and... Yeah, there's no doubt about that, that most of them are, as I said, with the Wild Animals Act before that, anyone could own them. Um, and some of, you know, some of them, people speculate on, on other angles as well. One of the more interesting angles is that during the Second World War, we've been able to verify this, just before, you know, they had the D-Day landings when, um, to, in 1944 um, in mainland Europe again, um, a lot of American forces were stationed in Britain, you know, because Britain was like an island, so it was sort of, luckily for us, you know, we were sort of, the English Channel prevented Hitler from invading, so, you know, Britain and America had a good relationship because, you know, the Americans could be posted and stationed here and be pretty safe, you know, until, you know, they would go to mainland Europe with the British troops and attack. But a, lo- a number of the... U.S. Um, units that came over to the U.K., you know, they bring maskets with them, animals, and some of them had dogs and, you know, some of them had other animals. We know of at least three units of the American military that actually had big cats uh, as maskets. Now, I'm not talking lions or tigers, but I'm talking about things like the size of a lynx or something like that, you know, sort of uh, still a substantially sized exotic cat. And there are stories that because, obviously, the, the troops couldn't take them into battle, they obviously didn't want to kill them because as well as being, you know, maskots, they, you know, they were pets as well after traveling on the, you know, the battleships or whatever across the Atlantic with them. And the stories are they let them go in Britain. So, in other words, it's possible that we have exotic pets from the 1970s. We may well have World War Two and even World War I maskots that were released by troops going back then. And there are even stories... Of say from the 15 and 1600s of explorers, you know, going to Africa and places like that and bringing back cats, and them escaping, you know, from um, menageries and places like that and zoos four or five hundred sure. years ago. So in other words, it's possible. As some people speculate that these big cats in Britain have actually been there for centuries. You know, not just for 30, 40 years. They they may have been here for much longer than most people even realise. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. The explorers, and of course, the there was little thought of invasive species issues like we have yeah. nowadays. 
Oh, yeah. No, you're right. uh, Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's probably more difficult back then, you know, to ensure that they wouldn't escape. You know, today we've got, like, iron bars and cages and moats and water, you know, to prevent them swimming across or whatever. Back then, 500 years ago, you know, some explorer comes back and builds a little wooden fence in his backyard or whatever, and uh, before you know it, the thing's gone and rampaging around the countryside. Yep. Well, one one famous um, historical account, or infamous historical account, was someone who had captured a large black bear in North America and took it back mm-hmm. for a circus, and mm-hmm. it escaped. <laughs> yeah. And caused wreaked <laughs> havoc for some period mm-hmm. of time. Yeah. Well, we get lots Sounds of stories like, like that story. in England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you get a lot of exotic pet stories. Um, the I, I grew up near the city of Birmingham in England, and I remember in 2003, um, somebody found a, a dead python, an, an 11-foot-long python in a local canal. <laughs> of course, pythons aren't uh, native to Britain by any means, so obviously this was a pet that got too big to handle, you know, and somebody thought it'd be cool to own a python until it reached 11 feet in length and probably ate his pet dog or something and, and probably got rid of it. Yeah. Um, you know, so things like that, you know, they're, they're, they're a mystery, but I think they're a mystery that has sort of a down-to-earth explanation. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, for the most part, I think it's kind of cool that there could be big cats and, you know, running around Britain. It sort of adds to a bit of mystery, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Certainly. So the definitely the the other um, another, I guess you'd say, cryptozoological entity that is kind of topical or timely right now would be one of your Irish entities, the banshee. You ever look into that? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is one of the areas where sometimes you have crossovers. Cryptozoology, for the most part, you know, deals with um, unknown animals like the big cats, which, you know, most, pe- most people, but not all, you know, consider regular flesh and blood animals that have escaped from zoos. But there are other creatures and weird entities that seem more paranormal, you know, than they do physically literal flesh and blood. And, you know, banshees are like a, a typical example. You get tales of banshees, like sort of these wailing, very often... Um, humanoid, often look like, you know, women, um, sort of screaming and wailing, and they're sort of seen as like a demonic, devilish entity that can, you know, if you see one or cross paths with one, you know, you, you could be in big trouble. Um, and they're, they're sort of like a, a ghostly, demonic entity, and they're very prevalent in Irish folklore, Scottish folklore. A lot of reports of banshees from around, like, old locks and lakes, um, sort of pulling people to their death into the waters and things like that. And the interesting thing is, you know, you can go to a lot of the isle- uh, excuse me, the villages in places like Ireland and Scotland that are very isolated, and, you know, that they still take these traditions and legends very seriously, you know. They, they don't joke about them at all. Right. That's and true, yeah. I say like timely... I say it's timely because, well, yeah, I think it's timely strictly because of uh, the upcoming holiday that's observed more heavily in the United States than it is even in Ireland. Of course, I'm talking about St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people, like you said, um, people kind of today, in, in many of these legends and, jo and stories, you know, they make a joke about them. But when you go back and you look at the original stories, you know, they were tra treated very seriously in whole villages, you know, would be kind of thrown into just fear and hysteria that some of these entities or creatures or monsters, whatever you want to term them, were amongst them. You know, and it's, it's like a lot of folklore. It's sort of been, over the years, it's been watered down to where, you know, it's just a myth and a story. But you go back to a lot of the original tales, you know, they're sort of very bleak and dark and, um, you know, not like the way they've become... I guess, sort of treated, you know, by the world of entertainment and, you know, where they're almost sort of watered down where kids can, you know, have fun with the stories and, um, you know, but the, the, the original stories, you know, you wouldn't, you know, you, that, that's sort of far darker, if you like. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I think agreed. we uh, need to go to a break here. Am, am I correct? Indeed we do. You are correct, sir. We okay. are going to go to a break, guys. We're going to be right back with Mr. Nick Redfern, continuing our conversation here on PSN Radio. Please call on in, 786-245-8127, with any questions. And let's keep it on topic, please. We'll be back here on Skywatchers Radio. Been so long, been so long, don't know just what I'm doing. I wonder, and wonder. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Hi everybody, this is Boca Brian once again to tell you about my latest CD of religious comedy bits. Word of Boca. All my smash hits made famous throughout the world. For the, well, not exactly the world. Let's see. Parts of Okeechobee down to Narthay and Paladin. Well, like I was saying, the most requested religious comedy bits ever to be heard all over your radio for too short a time. You'll get such hits as... And you'll get Father O'Toole, amen, 
and this all-time polka classic. They were speaking in tongues. Yes, it's Word of Boca, about 30 all-time certified aluminum religious hits by Boca Brian, who sits on the middle finger of God while singing about men of the moist cloth. That's Word of Boca, available now at all Peaches, Records, and, uh, I mean, at order yours today by clicking on the album cover on SoFloRadio.com. This is George Rodriguez, and Boca Brian is forcing me to encourage everyone to listen to all of the other shows on SoFloRadio.com. No, I'm not. You're making me do this because nobody's listening to any of the other shows. They uh, they suck, and you don't want to listen. <laughs> Turn it off now. <laughs> Where are we? Hi, everybody. This is Suds Coleman. You know, SoFloRadio.com is like a scab. <laughs> don't eat it. What does this computer do? It tunes into SoFloRadio.com. And also oh, makes a nice conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to Skywatchers Radio here on PSN Radio. Again, with us tonight, the man, Mr. Nick Redfern, the man himself. And uh, anybody who wants to call on in, 786-245-8127 is the number. We're going to have open lines for the last 30 minutes of the show. So, guys, please call on in, get on the board, and we're going to take your calls. And any questions for Nick is welcome as long as they're on topic of what we're talking about tonight. And be friendly, please. We don't need none of that nonsense that gets on on this network every once in a while but anyway welcome back everybody nick rick we're back on uh the uh station here and we were talking about exotic animals and uh quick question you know going back to the topic you guys we were talking about here before we went on break uh do you think there's any correlation with uh, these animals in the uk and maybe the cattle mutilations uh of the last 30 years have been taking place well, you know, that, that's a good question because a lot of people think, you know, cattle mutilations or animal mutilations sort of a, at a wider level are just sort of confined to the U.S. But we do get a lot of weird reports of animal mutilations in Britain. Right. Uh, there was a very strange spate from in 1977 and 78 um, in the uh, southwest part of the country, numerous animals killed. And, every, and uh, there was a, very, a really weird story. Um, from an area of North Wales, uh, excuse me, Mid Wales, um, in, um, in in October 1988, where there was one local village in in Mid Wales, and a lot of farmers reported their sheep having been found dead. You know, they go out to, in the morning to feed the sheep and found them dead with literally like two puncture wounds to the neck, uh, like you know they've been killed in like some sort of vampire-like fashion, and the media thought, well, you know, it's a big cat on the loose. But when the farmers started following the tracks 
um, or trying to follow the movements of these animals, or whatever the animal, whatever it was, they didn't find like telltale paw prints. What they actually found was like a large area of flattened ground that actually led to a local river. Um, as it's hmm. almost like something large come out, slithered out the river late at night um, and hmm. attacked the farm animals and killed them. And uh, now what this was, we have no idea. It was actually splashed all across the English media in late, 19, in late 1988. But then the mystery vanished or stopped as mysteriously as it had begun. But that was like a very weird couple of months, almost like something straight out of a horror film with like some sort of little, you know, old English yeah. village um, being invaded by some sort of creature coming out of the lake, <laughs> you know, out of the river late at night and puncturing the jugular veins of the local animals. You know, it's very, very weird. So, so we do get, um, we don't actually get that many sort of cattle mutilations, but there have been a lot of, mutilations and weird killings of smaller animals, you know, the size of, like, deer and um, and sheep and goats and pigs and that sort of thing. That's an interesting well, uh, correlation. I, it just hit me because I was, I was thinking, you know, I don't think the cattle mutilation has gotten a lot of uh, press the last five, six years, but I remember back in the 90s, there used to be a lot of talk mm. about cattle mutilation, and uh, I, you don't you really yeah. hear about anything regarding cattle mutilations anymore. Has there been any reports in the last uh, five, six years that uh, that I maybe I've missed, Nick? Um, yeah, th there have been a few, but what, what there hasn't been has been, there hasn't been like a huge wave of sightings, and I think right. that's probably one of the reasons why. And I think a lot of farmers are probably reluctant to give these cases too much publicity because they know of the sort of tie-ins and with cattle mutilations, what it means, and they're probably fearful of you know, the media and everybody else descending on the farm or whatever, and they just don't want the publicity. So I think a lot of cases, they keep it to themselves and just, you know, put a file in with the insurance company or whatever to, whatever to see if they can get any, you know, claim anything back at all, um, if they've got their animals insured even. Um, but you do, you do get reports, but I think it is these sort of spin-off angles where the farmers just don't want to have to deal with, you know, people like me knocking on the door at 10 o'clock and pestering them or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but is there, is, is there such a thing understand. as uh, cattle insurance for, for this type of deal yeah, that they find uh, cattle well, mutilated um, I like don't this? think there's actually cattle insurance for cattle mutilations, but, you know, it's like <laughs> if, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's some sort of insurance you can take out, you know, for the safe well-being of your animals, you know. It's like if they got killed in a fire in the barn or whatever, you know, would that be covered? So maybe there's something. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I mean, I, th I think a lot of it just does, you know, the, everybody, oh, I'm sure all farmers, whether they experience cattle mutilation or not, you ask them, they'll all know what that term means, and they just don't want the stigma attached to them, you know, as I said, of people knocking on their front door or whatever. So uh, I, would, I wouldn't want me knocking on their front door if it was me at <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. So... <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, it, it, it's funny well, though. Me, uh, it, it, go ahead, Rick. I was going to say something, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to take this one. Go ahead. I'll, I'll wait. I'm patient. No, 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 no. By all means, age before beauty. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, where I'm going is a kind of a strange direction, probably, but. One of the most popular, most pervasive tales of 
cryptozoology in Great Britain is, of course, leprechauns. Mm. All right? Yeah. And I hate to keep picking on the Irish, but they, they have their share of strange things. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Probably has a lot to do with the whiskey consumption, but we don't have to go there. I was going to anyway. say that there might be <laughs> there might be a cause behind behind all the, this. <laughs> but one one because that's one of the things I've actually researched on my own, and I found that small, wee little people are pervasive mm-hmm. through a great many cultures, and it's not you know oh, yeah. it's not it's you know the Germans had the dwarves that live underground in the mines mm-hmm. and stuff. Yep. And uh, in even in North America, the Native Americans had what in Algonquin was Pukwudgeni. Mm-hmm. And in the Middle East, they had the genies or the djinn. And yep. they're all described in basically the same physiological terms as well as the same behaviors. They trick people and they steal young women. Yep. Um, is, is this something, because it's so pervasive, it just kind of lends credence, in my opinion. What do you think? No, you're right. I mean, you can go, um, you know, you, you can go um, back through all sorts of cultures and, you know, find stories of, of things like this, you know. I mean, uh, uh, you can go back to England, you know, on Friday nights and find plenty of people who drink whiskey and steal young women. I did it for years, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Didn't yeah, we all? But, I mean, no, I'm still trying to do that now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, joking aside, you know, um, you know, it, it is a case you can you can pretty much go in all cultures around the world, right. and you will find stories of quote the little people, you know, as you point right. out, whether it's uh, leprechauns, jinns, goblins, fairies, um, pixies, gnomes, you know. I think the tendency today is for people to associate them with what we see in mainstream entertainment, you know, like Hollywood movies and things like this, where the leprechauns are always little guys in green with an Irish accent and, you know, fairies have little wings on the backs and they're sort of ethereal-looking, you know, little creatures and uh, and things like that. But if you look back at the original legends, you know, some of these creatures were kind of, like, sinister and disturbing. They're quite malevolent, as you said, trickster-type entities that... Hmm. weren't always helpful, you know, and yeah. you cross their paths and, you know, they would sort of cast evil spells and things like this. And um, the interesting thing is, of course, you know, we're talking centuries ago when there was no internet and no TV, right. radio, whatever, and yet these myths, these myths or, or stories, however you want to term them, myths is probably the wrong term, had cultural identities all across the world, you know, whether it's the US, the Middle East, Europe, you know, etc., etc. And... Right. You know, I think the re- the, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, I mean, you talk, for example, um, you know, about, um, you know, the nature of these entities and the things they do. There's actually not that much difference between some of these. For example, if you go back, say, the 1500s, 1600s in England, you know, you'd have stories about, you know, some guy walking home late at night and he suddenly gets confused, not sure where he is. Next thing, he finds himself in the fairy kingdom where he has to like uh, mate with the fairy queen and he comes back and he thinks you know he thinks two hours has gone by and three days has actually passed or whatever or vice versa that's actually not that much difference if at all from today's alien abduction stories if somebody gets abducted by these little beings they have medical experiments done on them where they're told it's like a genetic nature 
you know, and DNA and eggs and sperm, etc., taken, and they are missing time. The only difference is the cultural reference points that the person puts Correct. on the experience, where today we interpret as aliens. 500 years ago in Ireland, it was leprechauns. A thousand years ago in the Middle East, it was jinns. You know, that to me, right, it's yeah. indicative. Yeah, to me, it's all indicative of a real phenomenon. And maybe mm-hmm. the phenomenon can actually alter its appearance to suit the perceptions of the people of that era. And maybe it is like a trickster entity. Maybe its whole purpose is to, like, screw with the natives in simple terms, you know, mess with their minds <laughs> and let's just see what, you know. Of course, the, the Catholic Church would say it's do. the devil. It's all the work of the devil, yeah, the I mean, Catholic Church yeah. say. Yeah, for one person it's the devil. For another person, yeah. you know, it's um, some other supernatural entity. For somebody else, it's something else. But I think what a lot of these stories do come down to, they do have this sort of definitive trickster manipulation element to them, um, you know, where the creatures seem to enjoy sort of plaguing people and playing with them and manipulating them. And they all seem to have this imagery um, of, you know, being diminutive beings that can be friendly, but, you know, you cross them and then they'll, you know, you'll get a big backlash or whatever. That's true. You know, it's funny. This is kind of what I was going to go with earlier when I was... uh, I'm uh, going to say that it's funny how many mythology there is out there and how many different stories and tales there are throughout the world. Uh, but I am a personal believer, just like you were saying, that a lot of the older stories and all the older myths are all tied in somehow with ufology, like all the demons of the past might have mm. just been aliens, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. It's it kind of amazing that with today's awareness that we have of our surroundings how really a lot of the religious aspects are starting to see that even they are having to admit that there is possibly something more to alien life and i think eventually we're going to find out that a lot of these old myths are tied in directly to aliens uh themselves i really do believe that yeah and i think the important thing to remember is you know that human beings you know we're sort of impressionable complex beings and we want answers and so i think what what has mm-hmm. happened over the centuries, there's been tendencies for belief systems to develop, you know, because right. and we try and we place those beliefs in the cultural references that we can relate exactly. to at the time. So, you know, somebody says, you know, it, it's, it's witchcraft or it's demonic or <laughs> it's whatever. You know, it may mm-hmm. be 50 years from now, maybe people will be thinking it's all time travelers or something, you know. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe they Some won't think it's aliens. <laughs> well, that's true. They do. Some people yeah. do think UFOs are like time travelers, not extraterrestrial. Right. Other people think it's not extraterrestrial, <laughs> See, but go. interdimensional. And I think they, the interdimensional in theory also. is an interesting one. But I think in it part is. it's developed because more research is being done into the possibility that other dimensions exist. And, you know, maybe yep. some of these entities really are extra-dimensional or interdimensional rather than extraterrestrial you know maybe that there's a whole maybe it's just not one answer you know maybe there's several answers to to what's going on which is what i keep telling everybody that the truth is going to be a lot stranger than you could imagine and well, perhaps it usually is you know everybody it's, thinks yeah, it's black and white usually the truth really is, is. Mm-hmm. well okay rather than dead air let me jump in here one more time <laughs> Um, the, of course, the the biggest, and I use this as a pun, the biggest cryptozoology story in North America is, of course, Bigfoot. Mm. Um, 
what do you think is the most credible account that you've hmm. read? Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Um, this is well, a good question. I mean, is there any? Yeah, that is a very good question. I, I would actually, <laughs> I'm not avoiding the answer, but um, I'm not sure if I could pinpoint one specifically, but what I would say is, I mean, what convinces me there's a genuine phenomenon is actually the the collective body of testimony and, and reports and incidents we have. You know, I mean, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of reports on record from very credible people, and who knows how many reports have never been reported, you know, because the people are fearful of ridicule or whatever. Um, so I think for me, you know, it's like if we had one really great case, but no one else had ever seen Bigfoot, well, that wouldn't, hmm. that might not prove anything. But, you know, if right. we have five, six hundred cases of somebody seeing weird creatures in the woods that fit the Bigfoot description, to me, you know, that, that's what I find significant. Um, you know, there's no doubt in, in my mind that there's a genuine phenomenon. Now, what I will say about Bigfoot is that a lot of mainstream cryptozoologists, you know, take the view that Bigfoot is just an unknown, an unknown ape, you know, that science hasn't classified. You know, it's like a, they view it as like a, a North American gorilla that shouldn't be here, but we just haven't caught it yet. Now, that could be the case. However, there's a, there are actually a significant number of reports that it's difficult to sort of reconcile some of the weirder aspects of Bigfoot sightings just by placing that category. You know, we have reports of Bigfoot, you know, somebody sees Bigfoot crossing the road in front of them while they're driving home late at night and the car engine fails or the lights go out or these creatures vanish in like a flash of light and people try to shoot them, you know, and it's the bullets to have no effect. You know, which is kind of strange, <laughs> strange to say the least. And I actually do wonder if some of these type of creatures almost have, like, extra-dimensional capabilities, you know, rather than just... Maybe they flit in and out of our reality. That's why they're so elusive and we're not able to catch them, you know. I mean, some cryptozoologists, they roll their eyes when I talk to them about this at conferences. They're like, Nick, you know, you're completely crazy or whatever. They just say, <laughs> you know, Bigfoot's a, a wild ape. But, I mean, I don't care. I mean, the, the thing is... To actually deny the weird reports, you have to actually write off about 8 or 9% of all the records we have on file. You know, people try to photograph it for the cameras to jam and stuff like that. You know, regular animals can't or shouldn't be able to do that. But Bigfoot seems to somehow. You know, and I do wonder if, even if it's flesh and blood, that they kind of do flit in and out of our reality and, you know, have the ability to do that maybe. Well, well there's in, been a lot in, of speculation in, along that line. In, in, in reality, I mean, if there is such a, a thing as Bigfoot that are on this planet, we should have found uh, traces or some kind of, uh, yeah. you know, remains yeah. uh, at this point. I think, you know, by now we should have found something uh, that indicates that, yes, there is this other being that shares this planet with us. But we found we found nothing so far. Uh, I mean, I, don't, I remember the only cases that I've heard of any Bigfoot uh, sightings or or any Bigfoot uh, capturing or anything like that turns out to be hoaxes. So I haven't really heard of anything credible as far as finding any remains. Do you know of any remains or anything that's been found other than uh, just no. stories or, mm. or anything like that? Not really. I mean, that's one of the things I always say to people. It's not just that Bigfoot's elusive. It's like Bigfoot is almost too elusive. Now, I don't mean by right. that that there's nothing to it. I mean, it's people making up stories. I don't believe that at all. I think it's a genuine phenomenon. But to me, it's almost like 
more spectral than it is physical. But I don't, I'll be honest enough to admit, I'm not sure why. Now, there are stories um, of Bigfoot bodies being recovered, but, yeah, they never go beyond the level of, you know, well, my grandfather told me this or whatever. Um, there's, a, there's a famous series of stories which may have something, you know, to, uh, some grounding in them. When the Mount St. Helens um, in Washington State um, exploded with a volcano in 1980, um, there mm-hmm. were rumors about, you know, when it just decimated the whole area, about the military going in, you know, like emergency services to help the people who live there who hadn't evacuated and apparently or supposedly finding like seven or eight bodies of huge, like giant hairy ape-like creatures on the mountains. And the story is wow. that the military went in with helicopters, cordoned the areas off and, and airlifted the bodies out to some sort of secure military installation for autopsy. Now, in fairness to that story, that's, that has surfaced from seven or eight different sources. So in other words, you know, I don't rule out the notion that these, have phys- these creatures are physical in some sense, but I'm more inclined to think if they are physical, as bizarre as it sounds, they may actually actually have the ability to sort of negotiate different dimensions and flitting out of our reality to other realities. I think there's far more to them or far less, depending on how you look at it, than just <laughs> hidden apes that society hasn't found yet. Right, right, gotcha. Nick, uh, we have a caller on the line. Uh, caller, you're on the air with Nick Redfern on Skywatchers Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Hi, uh, Jacko. Hi. It's Joe Siapi. Joe, how you doing, buddy? Joe. Hey, Joe. How's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. And um, I, I just want to um, um, make an observation that... Uh, uh, people have a tendency to not see very far, and uh, they don't uh, they don't realize their home country is full of empty space, where a lot of things can be going on that they're not aware of. They just they know the streets in their town, but they don't they don't know the empty miles of uh, farmland and forest and so forth, and uh, they uh, cling to ideas. And they don't keep an open mind. So when somebody brings up a new observation, like a like a black cat in in uh, British Isles or something, uh, most of the people will reject it. So it's really hard to study something like that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's actually a very good point. I mean, I think it's often our sort of ego and arrogance to think we know everything that's out there. You know, it's like you can sit at home and look out your window into your backyard and not realize, you know, that there could be a squirrel, a rat, and something else watching you, you know, just 30 feet away. That's in your own backyard. That's right, yeah. I mean, I'll give you a classic example. I'll give you a good, a perfect example. About five months ago, there was a story. Um, somebody hysterically phoned the police in Dallas at like 3 o'clock one Saturday morning and said there were two tigers on the loose in downtown Dallas. Uh, and when the police looked into it, they actually did find the story was valid, but they weren't tigers, but they were bobcats. Um, now, you know, the idea that there would there'd be two full-grown bobcats roaming around downtown Dallas for food at three in the morning on a Saturday morning, most people wouldn't believe it. But, you know, a lot of wild animals have sort of learned to live in the shadows and even in the main major cities, you know, in like the... Uh, 
the sewers, the subways, you know, the darkened alleyways, and they come out at night and they stay hidden during the day. Um, and, you know, when you start getting places like the Pacific Northwest Woods and forests where you've got hundreds and hundreds of square miles of forest where nobody goes, you know, who knows what could be out there. But we tend to think, hmm. you know, well, we've got the Internet, we've got computers, we know everything. You know, it's like take people yeah. away from their cell phones and their computers and <laughs> yeah. la- put them in the, in, the, you know, in the jungle or the forest for 10 minutes and, you know, they don't know what to do. So. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of the yeah. episode from the X-Files when they had the creature that lived under the sewers. Remember that episode that just uh, was created through oh, yeah. some... Uh-huh weird biological mm-hmm. mixture under under the sewers. Uh, that could one day be true. Something like that could eventually one day happen, couldn't it, Nick? I mean, something like that is plausible. Well, uh, you know, well, I mean, weird biological of, mixes. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, certainly science today is doing a lot of weird gene splicing experimentation. There's no doubt about that. And in terms of, you know, regardless of that, I mean, there are a lot of stories about weird animals, well, or unusual animals in the sewers. You know, we get a lot of stories about, you know, alligators in the New York sewers. There, although a lot of these stories are legends, there are actually verifiable newspaper reports going back more than 100 years of, of several alligators in the New York sewer systems. And there's one from the um, Dallas, I think the Dallas Morning News about 1903, 1904, where an alligator was actually caught in the Dallas sewer systems and was re- captured and released into a local river. So, you know, we get a lot of stories like that and, um, you know, regular animals do find a way of, you know, surviving in the big cities. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize there is like a hidden world beneath all our feet. You know, if you live in a city, you've got sewers, you've got drainage areas, you know, things like this, old tunnels uh, where the city's being built up and, you know, lower levels are still down there and... um you know, who knows what's lurking around and, um, you know, what we might stumble across one day. Ooh, well, the, another interesting point, uh, at, at least it's interesting to me, but then I'm a little bit weird. Um, yes, you are. It, it's a little bit strange, well, first of all, for... <laughs> it's true, I am. It's a little bit strange for bobcats to run in pairs, let alone to run mm. in pairs in a city. Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. Yeah, you're quite right. And, you know, this stories like this make me wonder if, you know, some of these animals are actually, um, I guess, sort of almost like altering their their regular patterns, you know, and and modifying and, um, you know, acclimatizing themselves to different situations, um, you know, to where they've learned, you know, to move amongst us, you know, the and and scavenge off us, and, you know, sort of, they've got rich pickings, and, you know, roam around sort of the, the waste bins outside restaurants at three in the morning, you know, things like this, and perhaps we've seen oh, I sort of... that was George. I thought that was <laughs> <Petey>. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think a lot of this could be going on, where we are actually seeing changes in the lifestyles of some of these creatures as they realize that, hey, hang on a minute, you know, Maybe we don't have to sort of go hunting in the woods every night for whatever, you know. We can actually come into these concrete places that these weird two-legged creatures have built and just, you know, get pickings that way or whatever. Forage there. Yeah. And they probably... There's another thought that occurred to me. 
Go for it, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. Um, because uh, there's so much unknown, even in today, um, people tend not to believe each other when they when they have a story to tell, and uh, it's really hard to um, to develop any kind of a picture of what's going on when you don't believe most of the people that tell you what they saw. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, one of the biggest problems is we're told that, oh, you know, mainstream science tells us Bigfoot cannot exist, a lot less monster can't exist, the chupacabra can't exist, etc., etc. UFOs don't exist. You know, and so when people experience something, it's like, well, I know I saw something, but everybody's telling me it's not real, so maybe I imagined it. And, you know, it's kind of like culturally right. we're told... Well, you know, you don't believe in that sort of stuff, do you? You know, so and and that's a, that's one of the big problems we face in investigations. That you know, it's like how many reports or how many sightings occur versus how many reports we get. I'm pretty sure that you know, if we counted up the amount of Bigfoot reports we've got, it's probably in the thousands. But if you probably, if we yeah. actually know how many sightings that have been made that where people haven't reported anything because they fearful of being laughed at or called a hoaxer or a liar. We could be talking tens of thousands. Um, so, you know, that that's the biggest problem. You know, I kind of get it, you know, if I'm sort of flying to a conference somewhere and you sit next to somebody on the plane, you get talking and, you know, they ask, oh, what are you doing? I say, oh, I'm going to a conference. Oh, yeah, what do you do? Oh, well, I write books about <laughs> Bigfoot. You know, you kind of, there's that kind of <laughs> silence for a second or two. And then what sometimes often happens is that people say, you know, if they were in a group of people, they'd stay silent because they're worried about being laughed at. But often I find that people say, oh, that's interesting. You know, I had a friend once who said he saw this. And, you know, everybody, whether they've seen something or not, knows somebody else who has. And when they realize right. you're not, they're not going to get laughed at and they're not in a big group, they actually can, you know, the stories start come tumbling out. So I think a lot of it is sort of the stigma. It's not... You know, it's a, it's a stigma around belief in these things that actually prevents people from saying much, I think. Yeah, there is definitely a weird conditioning that's gone on in, when it comes to these sort of topics, ufology, mm -hmm. you know, monster-related topics. And it really yeah. has to do a big time with the media. And you see the media nowadays, they're not doing that as much anymore when they talk about UFOs. It, it hasn't uh, right? been the giggle the giggle factor that it used to be, you know, 15 yeah. years ago. They, they've changed their tune a little bit. So the conditioning is, is changing a little bit, I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at shows like Monster Quest, Destination mm -hmm. Truth, Beast Hunter, all these sort of programs, you know, they take, and UFO hunters, they, they do take, uh, take the subject far more seriously. You know, previously, yep. if you were investigating UFOs, you were like some, somebody with no life and, you know, <laughs> like socially inept or whatever. And, uh, but the problem was, <coughs> well, that was like, a, that was like a, a mythological creation, for the most part, of the media, because <laughs> they viewed it as entertainment. You know, they didn't want a UFO researcher right. or a big Bigfoot hunter as normal, you know, they want some socially inept weirdo. Um, but they realized as time went on that there are a lot of credible witnesses, particularly in the UFO field. And I think what's happened mm -hmm. is that to, uh, it's become far more legitimized over, certainly since the last 10 years or so, um, you know, and um, more and more people are getting interested. And the problem is, from the media's perspective, if more and more people are getting interested want to watch shows, they're going to make shows for them. But the media, as much as they may want to 
ridicule it, they realise if we ridicule it, people aren't going to watch it. So they have to treat it seriously now. Right. And there's so much money uh, involved with these kind of topics. I mean, the the greatest movies, the biggest box office hits are alien-related, are, you know, related yeah. with the paranormal. I mean, the, these subjects yeah. are what really sells at the box office. So I think the conditioning, uh, it started in Hollywood, really, the, the reconditioning of, of this uh, subject. And when there's money involved, you know, they're going to legitimize it a little bit more to try to make more money. And look what we, look what we saw with Avatar, for crying out loud. And we made over three billion dollars yeah. worldwide. So yeah. I mean, the, the the interest is definitely there, and that's why there is that mm-hmm. you know I think change in mind. And you know, twenty twelve is right around the corner here, Nick. Uh, do you think twenty twelve? What are your thoughts on the entire phenomenon with twenty twelve? To switch subjects a little bit here, because you know this is you know a hot topic. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world with the tsunami in Japan and okay. all the other stuff that it, that has been going on. Uh, it kind of makes you a little bit uh, scared that uh, twenty twelve mm-hmm. is right around the corner. Do you think there's anything at all? to 2012 personally um well well 2012 whatever happens 2012 is going to come <laughs> 2012 is yes, going to arrive <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no there's no way there's no stopping it um you know i think you can look at it in several ways one i mean if you look at the original mayan prophecies you know they didn't actually say the world is going to end and life will end you know and it's game over they didn't yeah. Well, if you if you read their stuff and interpret it, you know it's more on the lines of they're saying it's the end of an era and like a big paradigm shift, and the old ways will change and there'll be like a new dawning, if you like. Now, right. you know, you can argue that might be like a, a massive change in consciousness or something like that. Um, and I think you can also argue that even if that happens, you know, people are looking at things like Japan and the New Zealand earthquake and wars in the Middle East and saying, well, this is all building up to 2012, you know, and it's the countdown to Armageddon or whatever. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, maybe it's just me being optimistic, but, you know, you can look back and you could, you could, somebody could have reasonably said, well, when the Second World War was going on, you know, there's Hitler and and then the bombs dropped on Japan and everything else, it's like, well, that could be the final countdown. And then, you know, if you look back into the history of Japan, they had a tremendous earthquake, you know, I think it was like 1918 or something like that, that decimated Tokyo. Well, you know, people could have said, well, does that mean the end of the world's coming in 1919? But, you know, it didn't happen. So, you know, I think sometimes when a, a specific date comes around, there's a tendency to think that, if weird things happen, it's because that year's coming round. You know, it's kind of like, I remember, I'm sure you, you probably had it over here. I was, I was still in England at the time, but in, I moved over to the U.S. in 2001. But I remember in England, like around New Year's Eve 1999, everybody was saying, oh, you know, all the electric's going to go out and you won't be able to get cash out of the cash machines and computers going right. to fail because of the double zero number on the computers. You wouldn't be able to cope with the changeover. And it was like, you know, the entire electrical grid of the planet is going to grind to a halt. You know, but it didn't. Um, <laughs> right. So, you know, I'm always, you know, I could be wrong, but I'm always kind of a bit wary about prophecies because it's like, you know, the prophecies don't always come true. Very, right. very rarely yeah. come true. Rarely. And it's yeah, like, very rarely. Yeah. And also, you know, it's like when significant events happen, you know, I'm not really sure of anybody who really prophesied 9/11 or prophesied the creation of the internet. Mm-hmm. Probably two of the biggest things of the last 10 years are 
the internet yeah. or 15 years, like the internet and 10 years ago, 9-11. Um, so, you know, not to make light of things or play it down, but, you know, I do think even if the... I mean, the Mayans, you know, were mysterious, clever people. They may well have been onto something. You know, and if you look at some of the mathematics surrounding 2012, there are some very weird things going on. But, you know, as I said, from Hollywood's perspective, you know, it all kind of ties in with disaster movies and stuff like that because it's right. good entertainment. The reality may well really be is. we'll be talking like a paradigm shift. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you go back, if you go to Egypt now, you know, there are people living in Egypt, but there's no Egyptian empire, you know, or you, right. you go to Rome. No you, know, you go to Rome, people like live in Rome. Yeah, you know, Rome exists and people live there, of course, but there's no right. Roman Empire. And it could right. well be the same thing that, you know, maybe in the near future our civilization may not be what it was today, but people will still be around, they'll still be the countries and nations, but maybe there'll be radical changes, hopefully for the better, in the nature of that civilization. And people might say, you know, 100 years from now, you know, not to, you know, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but... You know, there might not be a United States of America. There, there might be a, you know, the United States of the Southern Sector or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> North America. Oh, the North American where, Union. Where, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could be where, North where, American where Union. nations change. Yeah, exactly. Where nations change, where people change, where beliefs and traditions change. In the same way, you know, there was a British Empire. Right. There's no British Empire anymore, uh, but there's a Britain. Um, and right. I, I think it could be something like that, that we, we will say big changes, but it won't be like 200-foot tidal waves and, you know, the end of the world <laughs> or whatever. Not. Hopefully, anyway. Well, it, that it would is, suck. I, I, mean, <laughs> I have a really nice DVD collection. I would hate to lose it. But, you know, one of my favorite... <laughs> One of my favorite theories, Nick, and, and this is uh, always kicks me right in the groin and makes me laugh really hard, is the folks who've come out with a 2012 Doomsday prediction saying, well, the planet is going to align with the center of the galaxy and the core. There's a black hole and there's going to be this eternal alignment. And I'm like, really? Uh, you know, that happens every year on December 23rd, 20, mm. you know, every year. This exact same alignment yeah. happens. But yet, people are picking on this as being part of the doomsday scenario, that somehow there's going to be some kind of a doomsday paradigm shift, that the poles are going to shift yeah. and the world is going to come to an end as we know it because of this alignment. And I'm like, it happens every year. Why doesn't mm. it yeah, ever, right. is there any catastrophes? A lot, of people don't realize. <laughs> yeah. a lot of people don't realize, you know, the, the sheer extent. A lot of people, you know, forget in history, the sheer extent of huge disasters there's been. I mean, like in 1918, yeah. there was a, like a massive flu outbreak that killed millions. Mm -hmm. You know, people talk about swine yes. flu today and things like that. You go, oh, you've got to get your swine flu injection because we're all going to die. Well, nobody died, you know. <laughs> it was like, a lot of it was just hysteria. But you go back, like, yep. to 1918, when the, the flu, I mean, literally millions and millions of people died. Um, you know, it's like the Second World War when... You know, the, the world was in turmoil, just bombs dropping and, you know, people fighting for years. Um, we kind of forget that we've had massive turmoil and disasters and wars for years. But because we have a few earthquakes and battles in the Middle East, it's like, oh, this is it, you know, the devil's surfacing and oh, the end's coming. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but you know, we've, we've been through this countless times, you know, that's what we do. We fight and then and civilizations rise up and then they fall 
and another one rises up and they fall and somebody goes to war with somebody else and you know that that's life <laughs> that's it's a never-ending cycle of life the never-ending cycle yeah, exactly. of life uh joe uh, you have any more questions for mr redfern uh, before we go on break here we have a couple uh, about a minute before we go on break anything else you want to add to the uh, show here before we take a little break yeah, just one little short comment that uh, if you could if you could see a uh, um, a large map with the uh, Pacific Rim and the occurrence of earthquakes around that area, which includes Japan and the west coast of, of uh, North America and so forth, um, nobody should be surprised that there's an earthquake. But they should be surprised that there's reactors sitting on the fault lines. Yeah, yeah that's I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, there are certain parts of the world which, you know, are on, on fault lines, you know. And, uh, I mean, that, that's sort of like the height of sort of stupidity. Oh, it's like, let's build a nuclear reactor on top of a fault line, you know. Well, I'm sure there's yeah. a Japanese engineer who had to commit suicide because he pointed out the fact that you know, that it was probably not a good idea to build a reactor in, in near Tokyo yeah. or something. No, I mean, you know, it's 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 like anything where the ground, you know, it's not a stable area. The last thing you want to do is build something that the last thing you want it to do is be unstable. Um, like build a city below uh, the sea level in uh, New Orleans, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Another one, of, another bonehead idea. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's no doubt that... They probably just years. killed that guy. Yeah. <laughs> there, have been, there have been a lot of, you know, there have been a lot of earthquakes, you know, and they're always on about a big one in California coming, which probably will happen. But, you know, if I, personally, you know, I don't hold with the idea that this is necessarily due to, you know, some sort of bigger occult picture or whatever, or some big prophecy that, we're building up to more and more earthquakes because something's coming. You know, you can look back in history at tremendous earthquakes that have killed thousands, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, but it wasn't a build-up to anything. It was just earthquakes that killed people. So. Not, yeah, not to trivialize what's going on. I mean, don't get me wrong, not to trivialize by any means what's going on in Japan right now. But I don't personally think the Japanese earthquakes are a sign of end times coming. I think it's a very massive, terribly tragic event that we've seen mm -hmm. in, in, in history in the past, you know, but we're just... Right. They're also, today, it's almost like this millennial fever or hysteria that everywhere you look, oh, the end's coming, you know, and it has a lot to do with the fact that now we have better ways of keeping records of every event that happens, yeah. including every thunderstorm, every hurricane, every disaster, yeah. you know, everything that's catastrophic. We have a good way of keeping that record. We didn't have that a couple hundred yeah. years ago, so we don't know if this happens every hundred years, you know, that mm -hmm. there's this many amount of disasters. Or, I mean, this could be very typical. Hey, the Bible is filled with uh, floods, isn't it? The Bible and other historical records yeah, are filled right. with yeah. flood accounts. Exactly. Well. Yeah. Yeah, and there's floods all the time. So, you know, yeah. I, I said, I mean, I would never trivialize anything like the Japanese earthquake by any means, but I don't right. think it's a precursor to, you know, suddenly the, the Antichrist returns and the skies turn black and whatever. <laughs> no, I, I mean, if I'm wrong, people can blame me or whatever, but, you know, I, I think there are more rational down-to-earth 
reasonings behind these events because they've have all happened in the past. You know, that's exactly. the important thing. If there'd never been earthquakes, massive volcanoes, plagues, you know, flu breakouts, etc., if that hadn't happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that would be different. But it's not increasing; it's just ongoing. Yeah, but I do think there's amazing. weird stuff going on with the weather. I do think there's weird weather stuff going on. You know, do you think, think there's any truth to global, uh, global warming? warming? Yeah, do you think it's global warming that have might have um, something to do with the weird weather, well, weather patterns? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot of controversy about you know, is it global warming or is it actual? You know, some people speculate, you know, that what we're actually seeing is like a, a the actual opposite. You know, people speculate if the new ice age is coming, global what actually cooling. happens global cooling what happens is that yeah. global warming causes the you know the ice flows to melt they right. then you know make the water colder in across the oceans and so like the continental drift um, gets colder and colder so then when the water turns to water vapor in the clouds that gets colder and there's you know there's this theory there's like a tip over point where it could actually suddenly start cooling massively and go the other way so you know, uh, so whether it's global warming, cooling, who knows what. But I do think, I mean, I'm sure everybody, you know, of a certain age remembers when you were a kid, the winters seemed longer and better. Yeah. And, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. that was certainly the case in England, where now you'll get maybe a week or two of bad snow, and then that's it. You know, I can remember when I was a kid, you know, you would have a week off school, you couldn't, you couldn't get to school, you know. <laughs> Those days have gone, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's a definite change somewhere, um, and that could have a bad effect on us, you know. I don't doubt that at all. Nick, stay with us right here, guys. We're going to be right back. We're going to go on a little break, and we'll continue talking to Mr. Okay. Nick Redfern. And I'm uh, also going to get his website and a lot of other info for you guys so you can check out when you are on your own, on your lonesome after the show. So stick around with us. We're going to take more calls, 786-245-8127. Flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. 
Mental disorders are common in the United States and internationally. An estimate 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness. Now this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown. If you find yourself laying in bed on a Saturday or Sunday night hearing voices while you're trying to sleep, well it might not be that demonic being from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep. It might just be your mental illness starting to kick in. So if you're out of meds for the night, then I have just a thing. Come listen to my show, The Jackal's Head, on the Soup Media Network. You can check out our Listen Live page only on www.psn-radio.com. See you there. This ad has been paid for by The Jackal's Head and the War on Terror. War. It's fantastic. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Guys, we're back here on Skywatchers Radio with myself and Rick and our guest of the evening, Mr. Nick Redfern. Nick, tell the audience how many books you've written because we were talking about this earlier on the show before we got you on, and you've written a, a lot of books, man. Give us a rundown a little bit of how many books you've you've put out in the public, and not um, counting the ones you've ghostwritten. Uh, pro- I think I've done about eighteen, and I think there's two there's two more to be published this year, and then probably a couple into next year, and then. Whatever happens after that, so. <laughs> and that's on like that's UFOs, me. cryptozoology, um, paranormal stuff, Hollywood scandals, all sorts of things. So. Oh, Hollywood scandals! Uh, what kind of Hollywood scandals have you written about? Oh, I wrote that's a book in 2007 called um, "Celebrity Secrets," which is actually a study about how the FBI secretly watched people in Hollywood over the years. Everybody, you know, back in the 50s, people like. Marilyn Monroe and um, you know, Frank Sinatra, and then also from sort of the 60s onwards and through the 70s, like a lot of um, rock bands and, and singers who, you know, the FBI actually thought were sort of inciting eight kids to rebel and whatever, you know, like Jimi Hendrix hmm. and the Doors, they opened huge files on all these sorts of people. It's, you know, kind of interesting how the government actually felt threatened, you know, just because somebody was singing a song about peace or whatever. So. Do you think anybody's feeling threatened about it Justin Bieber scary right now? Itself. Yeah, I no, would hope not. <laughs> not <possible. laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, if, I, if that's all they got to worry about, you know, uh, I, feel, I, I think the country would be. If the country had to worry about him, we, it, we, life would be at an end. You know what I mean? That that would be the ultimate sort of dumbing down of society. I think. So. If I had to attend oh. one of his concerts, my life would be at an yeah. end. Yeah. But anyway, my <laughs> yeah, friend, uh, exactly, there's. Yeah. 
there's been a, a huge dumbing down of society for the last uh, 20 years when it comes to pop culture and the media, and uh, Justin Bieber is just part of that trend. <laughs> yeah, poor old Justin. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it, but it, but it is funny though uh, that you have written about these subjects as well. Have you it, written anything about the hip hop murders of the '90s, uh, Tupac and Biggie? Have you ever looked at any of those uh, conspiratorial mm -hmm. wise? Because I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of conspiracy mm -hmm. behind those. Oh, there is. You're right. I mean, um, what I tried, to, what I did with the Celebrity Secrets book, it was based around um, government files that had surfaced through the Freedom of Information Act, where you could actually get the official files from the FBI and different government agencies uh, on, you know, whoever the relevant person or band was or whatever. But, you know, you, you're right that, you know, there are other cases which are sort of steeped in conspiracy, but where oh, you know, yeah. we don't have the files. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, that might be something for a, a follow-up one. With this one, though, I specifically wanted to sort of, you know, demonstrate to people that there were official documents that the government had sort of legally put into the public domain, you know, where we can now read them and whatever. It's amazing how how many uh, files that you would you know find and come across. Uh, government really has been spying on a lot of us. Well, I guess that's what they call it. they're called Big Brother because uh, they keep an eye on everybody, including people in the media and mm. and uh, people who we call celebrities. Which uh, you know, the celebrity is just a person who made money and got some fame. So uh, you know, they're still going to keep a track on them as well. But Nick, uh, what's uh, the latest two books that are coming out now that you're putting out? Give us the titles. And uh, where the audience could uh, purchase these books and when they're going to be out. Okay. All right. Well, I've got one out right now, which is called The NASA Conspiracies, which is all about NASA's involvement in various UFO mysteries and the face on Mars and stuff like that. And then in June, I've got a book um, coming out um, called The Real Men in Black, which is a, a, like a full length study of the whole Men in Black mystery, looking at who the different theories as to who they are and the different theories as to, you know, what their agenda is and um, a lot of interviews with people who've had many black experiences and researchers of the phenomenon and stuff like that. And that one will be out, uh, I think, I think it's June the 14th, something like that. Oh, man, great reads. I can't wait to get my hands on the Men in Black one. I'm interested in that subject deeply, actually. Uh, Nick, we have to have you back on one day, sir, and, and continue this conversation. It's been a complete honor All right, having cool. you here on Skywatchers Radio. Uh, Rick, right. any final questions well, thanks, for our guests here before we let him go? Yeah, how soon can you come back? <laughs> <laughs> when, when you want me back, I'll be happy to. And, uh, you know, I can chat all night. I'm, I'm one of these who uh, I go to bed late and get up early. Uh, I don't need much sleep, so I'm all right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you're just like um, us. We certainly look forward to whenever that is. Um, mm -hmm. Perhaps I'll get you for our noon Sunday show one of these days and let you get a little extra rest. There you All go. All right. <laughs> now, Nick, if we could trouble you okay, for a small bumper a here, on, here on the show before we, we let you go, uh, well, yeah. can I trouble you for a small bumper for Skywatchers Radio? Uh, can you say something like along the lines, uh, this is Nick Redfern and you're listening to Skywatchers Radio? Something like that. Yeah. And let Rick yeah. stop breathing you, heavily. Are you ready? <laughs> Hold on. Rick, uh, cut it with the breathing. You're interrupting with the breathing. Good man. And go. This is Nick Redfern, and you're listening to Skywatchers Radio.
Now you can breathe again, Rick. That was beautiful. Thanks so much, Nick. Uh, a pleasure again. And we definitely right. have to set another date here in the near future so we can have you back on. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But uh, thank you so much for being here. And, guys, uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're going to go ahead and uh, let Mr. Redfern off for the evening. And we're going to continue this next week here on Skywatchers Radio on a very special Monday edition with Jamie and hopefully Dennis uh, will be with us. Uh, that'd be kind of interesting because uh, Dennis has been telling me he has a couple stories he wants to share, but he's always been a little bit busy as of late. But uh, Rick, uh, great, great time with Mr. Redfern here on the show. Man, what a cool guest to have on! Absolutely. Just a, a, a fascinating, Absolutely. fascinating individual. Yep, yep, yep. Looking Loved forward it. to that next time. Gonna have to steal yeah. him from you, but so be it. Well. I can also say that I've had him on twice. I had him on The Wow Factor, and I had him on Skywatcher. So very proud of that. And uh, both times, he's been phenomenal. He really has. He's a very, very uh, fascinating gentleman. You know, another person who I wanted to have on pretty soon is Nick Pope, also from the MOD, and uh, another person who I highly respect in ufology. So we're probably going to try to work some out to have him on here on Skywatchers Radio, but next week we'll be back, and like I said, hopefully Jamie will get his uh, little issue uh, worked out with his uh, new system that he bought. I don't know if you if you heard what happened there, Rick. Jamie had to drop off early on because he was having technical problems with his uh, new board that he bought, so uh, that's why he kind of disappeared, folks, but he'll hopefully get that fixed by next week, and we'll have him back on, and hopefully Dennis will be back on, and we'll have a nice roundtable discussion on some ufology-related news. That sounds like yeah. fun, doesn't it? Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, l- I like ufology-related news. It's fun. Anyway, Let's guys, we will now. be back next week. Uh, oh, you want you wanna, you have some news you want to share with the crowd before we let you go? No. You, you some, we got like two, three minutes here. I, I, you have something I wish you want to share? I did, but... Oh, man. See, you, you, you have the itch already. You just want to start doing news-related shows right now. Yeah. But... Not gonna happen tonight, I guess. No, not not tonight. No, we're almost out of time here. But we we will be back next Monday. Same bat channel, or right, hold on, let me rephrase it. Same Skywatcher channel, same Skywatcher time. There you go. Here on PSN-Radio. Uh, guys, please be back next week. And thanks, Joe, for calling in and participating on the show. Really appreciate that. And hopefully we get more people participating on the uh, show here calling in. So that's always welcomed. So till then, guys, till next week, we will sh- we shall bid you adieu or something like that. Adieu. 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 Goodbye, everybody. Adieu. 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 Gotta get the deer. The deer? You gotta get the deer out. The deer? This is this is like the weird the weirdest song to put right now when it's just you and me going a deer. But it kinda works. A deer. A deer. A deer. Okay. Alrighty then. Remix! Yeah, I don't think this is much better. What do you think? That's worse? No. No? We need need something a little bit more up your alley, right? 
Alright, let's, let's see if this uh, is more up the Osmond Alley. How about this? Ah. They have.
another Classic Phil podcast here on the Phil Henry Show website, philhenryshow.com. Ted Bell joins us from June of 2005, and Ted suddenly hits upon the idea that anybody that eats their steak other than rare is scared of mad cow disease. If they're scared of mad cow disease, they must be scared in general, and that means their fear uh, is not equal to the courage that is sh being shown in Afghanistan and in Iraq by our fighting men and women. So therefore, if you eat your steak anything other than rare, you're gutless and you're not patriotic. Uh, it's one of those marvelous stretches of the imagination that Ted and the other characters get involved in. And uh, Ted does battle here with one particular woman, and he engages in the usual sexual double entendre, how do you take your meat? Here is Ted Bell from Tens of Beverly Hills, June of 2005. Hi, Ted. You know, I, I guess that my question is only one question. is: Are you or are you not a service provider? I'm a service provider, but I know my business, and when a customer comes in and they don't know what it is they're doing, I help them uh, with that. As a customer, as a customer, Ted, what, what, I always... Excuse me, what is your business, just so we know what your credentials are here? I happen to be an antique dealer, and it really has nothing to do no, with how I prefer my steak. It doesn't so have anything to do with it. Well, then that's so a moot point. It, running it, so what are you calling... I know how to but run a steak. Why I'm calling... I, in other words, I wouldn't say to you how to sell antiques, would I? Well, I'm not going to tell you how to sell antiques or what I think that you should buy. If I'm a hairdresser, I'm not going to have you sit in my chair and do your hair the way that I think that it should be done, not how you think it should be done. How happy is that going to make you? How do you take that? your meat? Let me ask you, how do you take your meat? I, I am really just, you know, it's, it's optional for me. Sometimes I eat meat, sometimes I don't. But that's not the point of the conversation. Well, I don't care do if I would ever... Excuse me, Ted. I'm just asking, I would how do you ever, take it? If I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have a steak, I'm maybe going to have a steak medium to medium well because I prefer that and because I'm paying you to make my steak medium to medium well. Not because you feel that I need to have a rare steak. Not because I'm a woman and not because I happen to ever have been in the armed forces.